Welcome back to the Bucket Seat Podcast. In this episode, I speak to someone who I've come to think of as a modern day magician. His name is Sasha Anise, and he's the mastermind behind both Mountain Pass Performance and On Point Dino. I spoke to him nearly two years ago, right when he launched Mountain Pass, an EV-oriented performance company with a deep-rooted history in motorsport. In the show, you'll hear stories of Sasha's exploits in racing with his lightning-fast Model 3, his groundbreaking build of a hybrid race car and its mission to set most sport lap records, and how he sees the electrified future of automotive shaping up. Recorded from the belly of his dino cell, I'm Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. levels and we are going to start uh what will be i'm not sure yet what number of this what number or, or episode this will be um but we are back with the bucket seat podcast i'm here with a repeat guest which i'm very happy to be able to introduce once again is uh mr sasha anise so sasha thank you so much for being on the show one more time oh yeah i'm looking forward to it man thanks for uh setting this up we spoke January, well, it was January in 2018, so we're almost two years away from uh, from where we last spoke. And when we last spoke, the conversation was really focused on uh, an Evora that, mm-hmm. you had, that you had built, and yeah. uh, it was called Blue Lightning, and it had taken the internet by storm. And I think you got a lot of great press out of that. At the end of that episode you had introduced a new venture that you were embarking upon, which was Mountain Pass Performance. And so now that we've had all this time pass in between our last conversation, I'm ta- I'm back this time to talk about the evolution of Sasha's business in EV performance and how his development vehicles have been both performing and how they've been accepted on the track. So it's a lot of talk about EV, which I'm very excited about. And we've kind of got three different examples of what Sasha has been working on that we'll talk about. Um, one being, of course, the Avora. But before we do that, I wanted to uh, ask you about Mountain Pass Performance. So if someone didn't listen to the episode where you introduced all of us to it, how would you describe the business and what is it that you're doing with Mountain Pass? Yeah, yeah. So Mountain Pass Performance was kind of the the, the point of that company was after we built the Lotus, we built this really cool electric Lotus, but the barrier to entry for someone that wanted to get in something like that, like that's... A very expensive undertaking to, to you know to do a conversion of, of that sort of level but we really wanted to build off of that momentum and I was really passionate about electric cars so Mountain Pass Performance was and is a performance parts company strictly for EV uh, EVs so at this time we have parts for the Tesla Model 3 um, and, and that will grow in the future um, so that kind of just slowly started when we spoke about two years ago and it didn't really we didn't really make any parts and ramp that up until I think about the spring or summer of that of that year. So it would have been, what would that have been, 2018? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, we were talking in January of 2018. So yeah, you would have been in the spring of 2018. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we've developed some coilovers for the Model 3 mm-hmm. with KW and we did some big brake kit uh, for the Model 3. We basically fixed all the problems of why you couldn't have fun with this car, especially on the track. And so we've we've changed the car basically from something where it's undrivable on the track um, because the brakes just instantly melt and the suspension's just totally not designed for that and you can't even turn off stability or traction control. So there's no point even going to the track the way the car comes to making this thing like an M3 killer. Like it is really, really, I don't want to exaggerate, but like that, it really is a great chassis and it just needed a little bit to open it up. And that, uh, it's been really great, man. Like we have, we set a pretty optimistic target for this year, um, which I didn't think we were going to be able to hit at the beginning of the year. And we doubled it. Wow. I'm sorry. And when you say target, you mean a sales target in terms of the, yeah, yeah. the parts yeah. that you've been producing? Yeah. 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 Sales target. For wow. Year. Congratulations. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much. So it's really cool. And the Tesla, uh, we were talking about this before, but the Tesla community is amazing. Like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of good close-knit communities out there um, and there's some that we try to avoid <laughs> as well yeah I bet the Tesla guys are like probably the best group of customers I've ever seen and they're always super thankful 
And even when our stuff is back ordered and sometimes taking months to come in, um, they're like super understanding. They're really, they're awesome. So it's a great car and the um, community has been really great. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy that we, we started doing this. I, I'm super happy for you too. I mean, it's a really exciting space to be in. You certainly were early into the space and into that game. Maybe just for everybody listening, um, give them an idea of what the parts catalog looks like. Right. So right now, as you know, when you're tuning an electric car, it's very difficult to make more power. You can't just go in there and put a bigger turbo in there or something. Right. Yeah. So we're focusing now on, on um, chassis and braking performance parts. Mm -hmm. So we've got uh, brake rotors, brake pads, uh, stainless steel brake lines. So everything you'd want to do to bring the brakes up to spec, then coilovers, suspension arms. And what we're doing is we're removing a lot of the soft rubber bushings in the car with sealed spherical bearings. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, generally everything we try and do will keep the car the same in terms of noise and you know we don't want to have any clunks or sometimes you see aftermarket arms they've got like exposed spherical bearings those types of things are things that we just we don't we make sure we do it as the OEM would do it okay so it should last a long time and just be really because an electric car is really quiet so you can't have oh right yeah I didn't even think of it that way yeah it's got to be can't be making the car, you know, all of a sudden sound unsettled <laughs> or untrustworthy or one of those. It's interesting. You said earlier that you did a or you've collaborated with KW on suspension. Yeah. So we we did all of our the design of the dampers, uh, and then we we chose KW to man- manufacture them for us because I've you know I've used KW in the past and really they've got great valving technology and they, mm-hmm. they do a great job of manufacturing dampers so is it difficult to work with a big manufacturer like that it's extremely difficult yeah um, especially when we're coming out of the as an unknown they don't right, pass right. mountain pass nothing, performance who you know? yeah it's been a really difficult road <clears throat> especially with kw um because they were we were dealing with them first in north america mm-hmm. then we started dealing with them in germany and they just thought this was gonna be like 10 little kits and at the door and that's it and we've sold like over 200 sets of coilovers now holy shit wow that's huge and and the program wasn't designed for that from the beginning so we've had a lot of issues with just the way the whole thing has been (laughs) uh so we're now we're now getting into a better place with it um and like I said, our customers have been really understanding, really great to, to be patient with us. It's nice to know that you can have patient customers. I know that there are a lot that just can't wait. I mean, that makes sense. When you want something, you want something. But at this stage, I think everyone is probably fairly accustomed to a little bit of wait time with Tesla. And I'm not painting them with a negative brush, but when everybody wanted a Model 3 in the first place, they got in line and waited and put their money down. And exactly. so maybe it's, you know. It, exactly. It definitely made it. Uh, made it a lot easier for us when we couldn't get our, our parts made fast enough. Right. A, a, f- a forgiving group, perhaps. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, we were talking earlier just about kind of other players in the space or competition. Are there a, Is there a lot of aftermarket support in the Tesla community? That could be for a Model S or that could be for uh, Model 3. I mean, it can be, you know, it could be for any of them, their Model X. Um, what, do, what are you seeing out there? There are a lot of accessory companies, you know, that make um, vinyl chrome delete kits and things for the interior and this, yeah. those types of things. There's a lot of wheel uh, options. There's some, you know, body kit things that are starting to come out now more and more front lips and things oh, okay. like that, spoilers, right. yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. In terms of performance with real, like based based on real track experience, mm-hmm. the, we're, I don't want to say the only ones, but I, I would say that we're the, the go-to company for that, that sort of thing. That's amazing. Good for you guys. Is yeah, that... we, we've been really, really fortunate that we've done a couple of key events in California um, which, as you know, that's where you pretty much have to do. If something happens, it's not in California. It didn't happen. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so we've had a couple of good events in California, and I think that really helped us kind of, yeah. That's so cool. I, I Maybe this is a question that you've been asked a million times, or maybe it's a dumb question, but have you ever been acknowledged by Tesla or by Mr. Musk? Uh, Elon's retweeted our wins twice. No kidding. Wow. He's never spoken to me directly or anything sure yeah i doubt he's even read the article he was retweeting but <laughs> okay saw a headline that sounded good and pressed retweet right yeah his his publicist or the pr department said it's worthwhile <laughs> i mean i i think from what i've from what i've read or seen i, I think he's more involved than we may all all imagine but 
Uh, that's great. I'm happy to hear that too. And, and being able to travel and do the California circuit, like you said, is super important. If it didn't happen in California, it certainly didn't happen, happen anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we've got a really great uh, customer and friend in the States that just let us use his car. So we went down there a couple oh, wow. days early, ripped his car apart, put our stuff on it. Uh, I drove his car. And so we've done that twice now. Oh my God, and, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's really good. He, you know, it's been, it's been really great for both of us. Okay, so how about the future of Mountain Pass performance? I mean, you you kind of, it sounded like maybe you were alluding to it at the beginning of this when you're introducing Mountain Pass. Right now you're doing parts for the Model 3 from Tesla. You have a, a, a decent catalog of, of parts that you're offering there. It sounds like you're busy. I mean, what's the future look like for Mountain Pass, either from new, if you're able or at liberty to say what new products you might be looking at or designing or thinking about or categories or components of EV tuning that makes sense from a from Mountain Pass's performance uh, perspective. Yeah, so we want to make parts for cars that are inspiring to drive. I mean, you, you might know there's some electric cars that are kind of made <clears throat> they're like considered compliance cars. Right, yeah. Um so we're not like super eager to make parts for those cars, but now is getting exciting. You've got a lot of purpose-built EVs coming out that look really exciting. Mhm. Mm and we're exciting to we're excited to to make parts for those cars but it's it's our philosophy that we're not going to just make parts that we think might be able to sell like it has to legitimately improve the experience of the car mm. so if the car's got incredible suspension already we're probably not going to make a coilover kit for it you sure or if it's got yeah, incredible makes... brakes already we're probably not you know yeah. some companies make just make parts for every car that comes out yeah right i don't think we're going to be that kind of company um so yeah, I, I think the Taycan is going to be a cool car. The, I don't know if you heard the Polestar. You know, yeah, the, the absolutely. Polestar. Yeah, yeah. Those those cars look really cool. Um, so what yeah. is the Polestar Two? Is the is more electric, accessible yeah. electric one? The right? Polestar One's a hybrid. So oh, it's a hybrid. Technically, oh, I, I didn't don't know even that. Know if Mountain Pass. Yeah, it's it's a decent hybrid, but I think it's still designed to be mostly driven on gasoline. Okay. So yeah. I don't know if that's something that really fits in with. Huh. I haven't had much exposure to it. Um, it's it's an interesting vehicle. They've marketed it, I think, really oh, well. Oh, yeah, really well. The Polestar 2, right? So that one is... Um, Quote, unquote, the Model 3 competitor. Okay. And 100% electric, no hybrid motor. Right. Very cool. I, I do have to admit, when I saw it aesthetically, I don't think it competes with Model 3. Just from a design standpoint, it... There was something, dare I say, and I'm sorry to anybody who loves the car out there, but I saw I saw a little bit of Aztec and a little bit of Chevy Cruze oh, in really? there. Yeah. Ooh, that's really rough, man. <laughs> I know. Aztec's it's, but the worst thing you can say. I know. The if there's design. something about the um there's something about the passenger window and the window break behind the passenger windows oh. that for me, I immediately saw it and I couldn't unsee it. Right, right. But well, now you've just done that to everyone else. I know. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to everybody. There's got, somebody's going to come up with an aftermarket solution to that. Um, I hope, but the, uh, you can't deny though, the front three quarter and front profile of it are beautiful. Yeah, I really, yeah, yeah. really, I really like, like the them. taillights too. Just that kind of classic volvo it's got to be that squarish right I, I really like that yeah they've done i mean they're the volvo product and design team have done a fantastic job over the last five seven years in yeah. development of everything that's out i want all of them <laughs> <laughs> which i think took them a long time to get back to but um okay so uh we've talked about um you know you're you're clearly you're looking at the entire space to see if there's anything that makes sense with the whole ethos of mountain pass performance and and with that, you're not going to, like you said, you're not going to be designing products just for the sake of designing products to sell them for an aftermarket replacement. Now, with that in mind, are you able to say, is there anything in your in your uh, in your crosshairs that isn't a Tesla or is kind of Model 3 the answer right now? <sighs> well, I, I mean, we need to get our hands on the Taycan. I think that for sure there's some parts on the Taycan that we're going to want to make. Um see outside of that to be really excited about i can't say right now too much there are a bunch of more parts coming from the model 3 cool um and some of those parts are getting more towards the really the track guys and we're gonna have to do a good job of distinguishing to our customers like these are the parts for you know if you're going to the track right and these are the these are the parts you really are going to enjoy if your car's mostly a road car 
Okay. Yeah. Um, Making a very clear delineation between the two of you might actually hear something in this one. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. The, this one might be a little, a bit louder or something like that. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that we do is, and we're working on is we're working now with some people that are trying to build sim cars similar to the Lotus. So kind of as like a consulting role and we may develop some kind of EV conversion parts in the future. Okay. Um, just to help make conversions a bit easier for people. It's something I'm super fascinated with. And the second I walked uh, in to see Kells, um, I think it's a great segue into talking about this whole hybridization of, of existing race cars and road-going cars with internal combustion um, systems. Maybe explain to anybody who doesn't know who Kells or what Kells is at this point and a little bit of the, the background and history because it's it's been something you've been working on for a long time. Yeah, it's yeah. been something that you have most recently had and set a a, a very uh, a very solid record for yourself and at MoSport and for the development plan of the car and for all of these things without it being a hybrid. But before we talk about that, maybe just give everybody the rundown on what that vehicle is. Right. So, <clears throat> Kels is a, is a 350Z, or like a really old 350, 2003. So, mm -hmm. and this was built as a race car. I bought it as a race car, I used um, kind of out of date race car at the time when I bought it in 2008. And that car started with my ambition and my dream of going professional racing. Okay. Um, you know, we were showing up in, at, at a racing series where the kind of the expectation is that you come with, you know, kind of like a big 18 wheeler type truck. You know, got the whole big team of 10 guys running. Sure. You know what I mean? Full support. Right. Yeah. And we show up with an open trailer and, uh, you know, a pickup truck full of a fuel, you know, refueling rig and some <laughs> tires and wheels thrown in there. Like, yeah. super, super, super silly. Um, so, you, needless to say, we ran out of money after doing a couple of races uh, at that level. Mm hmm. Um, kind of opened my eyes to realizing that professional racing is is like it takes a lot of money, mm -hmm. and the money usually comes from the person wanting to, <laughs> to go racing, <laughs> right? Not from outside sources. Mm -hmm. So then the car just became like a time attack car, regional racing car. It's just been evolving, mm -hmm. right? And my goal, my dream was always since I started racing at Mosport to be able to do a lap time similar to what GT2 uh, IMSA GT2 cars did. Um, you know, in like the mid 2000s. And that was around a 118 at most sport. And I always that said, you know, like my goal for this car is without it being like crazy aero time attack car, like for it to look functionally and, you know, be more or less what a GT2 car was. Mm -hmm. Naturally aspirated, around 26, 2500 pounds, you know, not insane aero. It looks like a normal car. It does, yeah. To do a 118. And so this year we did that big engine build with Jim Wolf Technology that made over 500 wheel horsepower, um, and we did a flat floor out of carbon. So we did the whole whole floor diffuser, um, bunch of work to just get the car a bit lighter, and put a new set of tires on. Did a 118.1 at most sport, and I thought that lap timer was wrong. Lap time <laughs> came on the dash, man. Right. Wow. Well, uh, I mean, another congratulations. That's that's huge to be able to accomplish that after how many years of ownership now. Yes, this is the eleventh year. Eleventh year. Wow. Uh, it's just been like you know a second and a bit per year, slowly chipping away at it. Right. Um, so well, I'm and if I'm not mistaken, from the internet chatter about the car, I don't know if it was a byproduct of the build or very, very um, specifically done. Um, was that the sound of that VQ is now known kind of all over the internet <laughs> as the best sounding VQ, which are notoriously hard to get to sound even reasonably decent. And uh, like I said, I don't know if that's a byproduct of just the build that you did or if this was something that you put a lot of time into thinking about acoustically how it yeah, was going to yeah, sound yeah. too, because it sounds incredible. Yeah, I would love to say that I, you know, did some sort of crazy engineering <laughs> job to make it sound that way. But actually, the car's always sounded really good ever since we've done long tube headers on it many years ago. It's always sounded really good. And I think that the VQ is kind of getting a bad rap lately. It has, because yeah. Because guys are just putting these like muffler deletes on them and, and mm -hmm. they leaving the stock cats and it just sounds like crap yeah so they do it's not so much that kels sounds amazing it's just that people are making vq sound really bad <laughs> <laughs> well it's very kind of you i think that um i think it's probably even better that you didn't design it specifically to have that acoustic kind of value to it and those, that it those was these are inherently very good sounding engines just the firing order and when you merge the two banks together it on paper should sound like a mini v12 and it does so it you know 
if it's, you, it's pretty hard to make them sound bad. I'm impressed that these kids that shoot the mufflers <laughs> are able to do that. Right, and and there are it's it's incredible. I, maybe it's just a a numbers game. There are so many of them out there, and the first thing people do is just put a muffler delete on, and that's that's well, you know how the kids were all buying it. old Lexuses. Yes, like a few years ago. Well, uh-huh. It seems like. Infinities and and 350Zs, uh, that's kind of what's happening now with those cars. Yeah, I mean they've really they've really entered into that ultra. I, I don't want to say affordability range, but they've really come down in price, and so it makes yeah. it a lot more accessible for everyone. And of course, the first thing everyone wants to do is have an exhaust system, so they chop it and off it goes. <laughs> uh, but I think you're being very modest too. It sounds sounds really great, and a lot of hard work clearly has gone into that. Now you've achieved that 118 naturally aspirated on this vehicle, but I noticed on your Instagram, I don't know what it would have been, maybe a couple of months ago, that you'd posted an image of an electric motor. That's about as technical as I get when I saw that. And I understood what it was when I saw it, but I didn't understand the intention. So maybe explain to us what the intent is or was of of that photo and that part and what it means to Kels. Yeah, so basically the idea, the motor was for Kels' design, you know, the car's going to be hybrid. Okay. For for people listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main reason we decided to go hybrid with Kels was because I thought it would never be possible to do a 118 unless we got some more power. Okay. Uh, because at the time we were stuck around 400 horsepower and the car was just, it just didn't have enough power. I mean, it had lots of grip and, you know, you can look at the data and you can see it's pretty close to cars that do 118 everywhere except the straightaways. Okay. Um, and then we've been working on it this year and this new engine came together and was already making 500 horsepower at the wheels. So anyways, this hybrid system will replace the clutch and flywheel. This is the plan. It's not tested yet. Mm-hmm. And it will basically add 200 horsepower to the back of that 500 horsepower engine. Oh my God, that's crazy. And so it'll have basically a three lap burst where it can run that 200 horsepower throughout the entire lap, or it can run in a more conventional curves hybrid mode where it will just recover energy under braking and then redeploy it when you exit the corners. So there's like a lot when you've got a, when you're talking about a hybrid system, there's a lot of different ways you can put that power and and put it together and how you want to use it and how you want to recover it. So I'm I'm excited to be on the track. I'll probably be a much worse driver because I'll be <laughs> as you're about, learning about that. I'll just yeah. be thinking about how to tune the hybrid system instead of focusing on driving. Right, yeah. But it'll be pretty cool. It'll be yeah, it'll be fun. And now have you have you started the build? Have you integrated? How far along are you, or or, or can you say? Yeah, so all the firmware is done. Uh, so all the uh, software is done, and it's been tested all this year on the engine side. Okay. Um, all all of the logic for the motor is in there, and effectively, kind of almost thinks that the motor's already been in there the whole time. Um, so that side's good. All of the design for all the mock-up for the motor, and and the adapters and the input shaft for the gearbox, those are all designed, and the adapter plates actually should be here today. Um, so we're going to actually be able to test the motor up today. And then all the little bits like the plumbing is mostly done. So the main the main things left to be able to get this thing uh, on the dyno uh, would be mounting the battery. In, in fact, for the dyno, we're probably just going to leave the battery beside the car and just run cables out to it. Um, and then mount up the mo- finalize mounting up the motor and uh, connecting the high voltage cables. It's going to be, it's an exciting day that, that this is happening then. Yeah, it's getting closer. I mean, my goal was to get it done before the new year. I don't think we're going to quite get there. I think we're probably going to be end of January now. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we've just been busy with Mountain Pass, and it's not it's not quite enough work to hire someone full-time just to work on the Z, you mm-hmm. know? So we're just chipping away at it. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to get it together and start start messing around. Have you Have you ever come across anyone else in the racing community that's built something like this uh, that you're working on right now with Kels? The closest thing is a company called Bonin, which is a subsidiary of Elephant Racing. If you ever heard of them, they do Porsche, a lot of Porsche performance. I'm not familiar with them. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So anyways, Bonin, I found this out after we had already started our hybrid project and ordered our motor and did all this. Yeah. I was down at the uh, inverter supplier for training on how to, you know, uh, tune the inverter and uh, learning about electric motors. And he told me about this company and I looked it up and I was like, oh. That's like very similar to our Kels build. Oh, cool. Are they American? Yep. They're American. And basically it's the same thing. They put, they keep the twin plate clutch transmission. They just put a little motor in between there. Okay. I don't know if they've sold any cars yet, but they're basically selling it as like a complete kit you buy. 
um, for a 9-11. Oh, okay. So it's for 9-11. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's pretty cool. It's just, you know, this stuff's expensive, right? It's a bit tricky to, to make a business case out of it, but the technology is really cool. That's what I was, it was kind of leading us into the idea of this becoming more mainstream or more accessible. And you've kind of answered it a bit <laughs> in the sense that right now, parts are expensive. There's a, a, probably a small knowledge base of people that have gone through training like what you've gone through. And then understanding how to integrate it into an existing race car is uh, it's its own beast on its own, I'm sure. So um, do you see this, like, are you, are you seeing it in three to five years becoming far more accessible and more common? Or how are you seeing it? Are you seeing this as entering into the consumer market, maybe more than the race series or a race car? Or what do you see as the future of this kind of, of the hybrid, um, why am I, I'm a lack of, uh, a, a lack of words on this. It's the, your hybrid, hybrid conversion. <laughs> It's remember when we were talking about the Lotus and you were asking me, what does the market look like? Yeah. And I kind of said, I built the Lotus so I can find out what the market looks like. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Okay. I don't know what the market looks like. I know right now it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that our the aftermarket that we are in, like that we are customers, we associate with mm -hmm. not OEMs doing development one-off cars, but yeah. you know, the tuner that wants to build a, a fast car, the hybrid system is not going to be his first choice. It's, it doesn't have a very good dollar to horsepower ratio. Okay. Yeah, that's a great way to put it then. Yeah. But that being said, I think there is going to be a lot of the EV conversions starting to happen now. They're happening more and more in the last two years that we spoke. The amount of Tesla swapped cars have gone up significantly. And there's a lot of parts now coming out to make those conversions easier. Okay. Um, right. So, and that was when I was at a complete lack of, I had a, like a complete <laughs> dull moment. And yeah, so hybrid conversion or EV conversion, hybrid conversion is the combination. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, there are a lot of cars that are running Tesla motors now. Yeah. So to put it in perspective for you, a 500 horsepower Tesla motor and the inverter costs around ish 7,000 US dollars. If you want to make the same amount of power with a motorsport motor and inverter, you're looking at around twenty to thirty thousand US dollars. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's still a very significantly different ballgame. And yeah. if you were to say, for example, want to try to make that same kind of power conventionally with an NA motor or a turbo, I mean, I think you would even be fractionally that as well, right? I mean, it, you would you could sure you could spend seven thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars on it, but um I think what I'm getting at is that is still the potentially the cheaper dollar per horsepower method, but it certainly isn't the future. Exactly. I mean, that stuff's going to come down in the future. And as we learn more and as OEMs put more different components, in different cars, you know, clever guys are going to figure out, okay, well, this part can handle the 500 horsepower and it's only, you know, say a contactor. Well, a contactor is what, which switches the high voltage power on and off to the rest of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Well, if you do a conversion, you need to buy contactors. That's like four or five hundred dollars. Right. Yep. But eventually, OEMs people are going to say, "Oh, well, well, that OEM, you know, that car contactor we can use, and those are only fifty dollars." And so that is going to bring it, you know, just like we see now. Guys aren't going to Toyota and buying a brand new two JZ. They're buying one from the scrapyard, right? They're buying yeah. an LS from a scrapyard. So th those types of things, as they become more common and more known, it will be easier for people to do conversions. Yeah, that makes um, sense. The you'd even mentioned it, I think, in your build of Blue Lightning of the Avora, was that that was even that was a combination of parts as well from um, a Model S and I think was it Chevy Bolt? Yeah, the Volt or Volt, sorry, Volt, right, Volt, um, where it just makes sense to be able to pick and pull parts that, yeah, exactly. just as you were explaining, are a lot cheaper in some of the cases and still can handle all the load or capacity that you want it to. Yeah, and in the case of the Lotus, those are the only two OEM parts is the battery and the motor. Okay. Everything else, the charger and all these other components, they all add up. And so um, those those little things will help. And the knowledge of the industry, I think a lot of shops are afraid of it. You've got a problem right now where shops that can handle the fabrication don't know how to <clears throat> deal with the electronics. and They're a bit scared of the electronics. And shops that can handle the electronics don't know how to do any fabrication. Okay, <laughs> yeah, right. So, that, you know, either they're going to learn or they're going to work together. Sure. But as that happens, you're going to see, I mean, you see some crazy fabrication and builds like these cards at SEMA. Installing a motor and batteries is not super difficult. You know, it's just that there's not that either that knowledge in one place, like 
centrally or these relationships between those two types of businesses haven't been established. Right. I think Sasha is setting somebody up for some super success if they're listening to this right now. If you're a fabricator, learn how to do this or call Sasha. <laughs> well, that's the thing, man. Here in Canada, you know, we're always well behind what happens in the States. Like we just have yeah. guys that don't quite spend as much money on cars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you get guys in the States, uh, you know, California and, and down the East Coast and that sort of thing. There are some guys willing to spend, you know, well into the six figures to build a really cool electric car. Yeah. Um, they're just lacking the experience and, like, and the places to get it done. So Yeah. Well, we were talking a lot about this in the sense that people want these cars, and especially in the context of our conversation, for performance and to be able to go to a track and to be competitive and to be reliable and consistent, all the things that you want as a, as a driver on a track. And with that, you've now explained three different vehicles that you have had, that you've built. And so we have, well, we have the Model 3. We have then the kind of the the fully electric uh, race car with, well, the Evora, considered a race car. Well, it was a street car. It's street, a street car. car, right. It's a street car. we've taken on the track. But it's fully electric. And then we have the hybrid. Yeah. And so you've got this really interesting range. Um, and I'm super interested about it because you've taken... Uh, have you taken you've taken all three to the track? I mean, obviously, Kels, um, you've taken the Model Three, and it's been on some interesting tours. Yep. And you've taken the Avora out, and you've done testing, and you've run that car as well. Yeah, we've done some time attack with that car as well. Yeah. I mean, the one that I've seen the most of, especially on the internet, is the Model Three. Yeah. And is it? It seems like a pretty polarizing vehicle to take on a racetrack. And there, I think there's been a bit of controversy and there's been some really interesting situations that you've encountered with it. Maybe explain to us a bit of what it's like to be a owner driver of a car that is going out and competing and doing really damn well against kind of these conventional internal combustion competitors. Yeah, it makes you realize that human nature is really strange, like <laughs> really strange. People really don't like change. Um and I couldn't believe that anyone would feel threatened by a Tesla Model 3. It's a friggin' four-door heavy sedan. It's crazy, I know. Like, it is not It is not a sports car. It is not, it's, like, I think when they designed the Model 3, they weren't even thinking, oh, hey, this might be, like, a car that takes the, take to the track. Yeah. And, yeah, we've had people protesting us. We've had people getting us banned because the Model 3 wasn't using an approved fuel. Because in the class we ran in, you could only run gasoline of course but the rules had never been updated to accommodate a vehicle right. that was very capable of running right. safely in that class right so to me it was just like when the guy when the organizer told me i was like Dude, come on it's a joke right <laughs> you're, you're okay it's funny right you're, yeah, you're... And he's like no man i'm not joking someone protested you and by the rules you do have to be disqualified yeah and this is this is um this has also been documented in a video if i'm not mistaken yeah. it's online too and even the video if you read the comments and around the internet and jalopnik was just being ridiculous writing some silly articles about it. <laughs> just like first of all there's a lot of companies that are whatever their relationship is with existing you know established uh, automotive manufacturers that are out to get tesla yeah. So just by racing a Tesla, you're going to attract some negative attention. Um, and then also you've got people that feel threatened by what they don't understand. Like there's a whole bunch of disadvantages to racing an electric car. Absolutely. You know, there's advantages and there are also disadvantages, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. you can really, if you want to do the fastest lap, you really got to get it done on your first lap. So that's, that's difficult, right? It's a heavy car. This is a full interior car. We haven't done any... Cameron's car was like I told you we got there the day before we threw some parts on it yeah right this is not like a we're competing against cars that are purpose-built they may be in a street class but they don't drive them every day these are cars that are designed just to run in that class they got big wings they got splitters on them yeah they're basically gutted with racing seats it, it baffles me that someone would feel threatened and feel the need to protest and I'm not even upset about it it's just like I'm amazed and it just makes me kind of laugh a bit. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's been the trend. We've had uh, CSCS, a local series, where they, for a multiple different number of reasons, they don't want us to run the Model 3. Um, what do you some, mean? So they, they just won't let you run it? Well, they there's some concerns about insurance and about fires. And oh, I mean, on. I kind of get it, but at the same time, 
if any car catches on fire, it's going to kind of ruin your day, whether it's electric or not. Yeah, you would think so. Um, and electric cars generally, when they catch on fire, they catch on fire fairly slowly. It would be like a very slow one cell starts to burn, then it okay. spreads to the next surrounding. It's not like a gasoline powered vehicle where once the, the car lights on fire, that gas can very quickly continue to burn, right? right? And it burns to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And an electric car too will burn to the ground. I mean, once an electric fire starts, you're pretty much not putting it out until the the battery does its thing. Okay. But it's kind of like a gas-powered car too. If if the if the car fully gets up in flames, you're not like it's going to burn all the gas and burn the whole the whole thing down. Yeah. So it's tough, man. It's we're we're the first ones there and there's a lot of issues um both with competitors not liking feeling like they're at a disadvantage, with the series not knowing how to handle it from an insurance standpoint. Uh, they're not sure how to class the car, you know. So, it's I don't, so, it's I don't so really funny. feel like, yeah, I don't really feel like <laughs> people are out to get us. Yeah. I just think that we're the first ones to face all these problems and they're just, they're being addressed the way they're being addressed. Right. I, I, I can just picture a lot of head scratching and trying to figure out why is it that we're being so hard on one of these vehicles when it looks so unassuming and it shouldn't be threatening on a track full of very purpose-built cars, even though they are in a street class. When you look at it and you think about the parts that you were able to uh, to add to your customer's car out in California, was there anything else that you had done? I mean, is there any, and I'm asking this naively, is there any tuning that's done um, with software that's changing the dynamics of the of driving on, on the Model 3s that you're working on? Our rear-wheel drive cars, uh, like I mentioned, we have the stability control defeat system. And a, and a programmable traction control. So, on those cars, yeah, w- you know, without you, without being able to turn off stability control, you, it's pretty much hopeless. But yeah. on the all-wheel drive cars, they have something called track mode, mm-hmm. which is basically Tesla's implementation of giving you what like BMW might call like their sports. I don't know what they call it, but they sure. all have, they all have some weird acronyms. Yeah, for, yeah. for their sport uh, stability control, so it's almost off, but not fully off. And um, so that's all we're using on that car because as much as I've tried and we've tried here to to get into them, it's just a lot more difficult with the all-wheel drive cars. So we haven't cracked it yet. Makes sense. And with your um, with your development cars, are do those run? Um, are you able to toggle between all-wheel drive and rear-wheel drive pretty seamlessly, or is it a more permanent solution? Well, our development cars are just rear-wheel drive. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. I was going to ask about um, winter driving with it. What's it like? I mean, are, it's probably again probably a stupid question. How much does the how, how much does one of your development cars weigh? Uh, Model Three is around thirty nine hundred and fifty pounds. The rear wheel drive one, right? Yeah. And unlike most kind of front engine rear wheel drive cars, most of the weight is in the back hmm. on the Model Three. So they're really good in the winter. The weight's down low, and most of the weight's over the drive tires. And if you have an all wheel drive one, it's I would argue better than a, way better than a Subaru. Like they're monsters in the snow. We, we actually make a lift kit for the Model Three. I saw that on your yeah. site. I didn't understand it. I know some <laughs> some uh, actually a, a customer said like, "Look, can you just make me a lift kit because I need my Model Three to be higher." I was like, you know, like no one wants this. We're gonna have to make it just for you. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I I think I still have to refund the guy's money because we've sold like a ton of lift kits now, and it, it was his idea for us to do this. Oh, that's uh, very nice of you. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna put like I think this winter we're gonna put some just like gold speedline wheels on our Model Three, just make it fully look like a WRC car or something. Like that's that. awesome <laughs> just for fun. Like the the Overland Model Three, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean you're on the cutting edge of just about everything, Sasha. It's awesome to see all this stuff happening. Um, okay, so we've talked about it um, at the track. What about Kells? I mean, a different, uh, very obviously very very different car, but with. Um, the imp- implementation of this hybrid conversion. Um, what do you what do you think the response will be in comparison to the showing up with the Model Three at the track? Well, the 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 Z is going to be a lot. Like, if we want to go wheel to wheel racing, I don't know. We might have a problem. We might not even be allowed to go wheel to wheel racing with that car anymore. Um, we're going to do everything we can to make it have all the safety features. Uh, and we can explain to the track marshals, we can explain to people and educate them on how the system works and what the dangers are, mm-hmm. if any. Um, but ultimately, people, like I said, are afraid of change. They would rather just say no than like put the time in to understand it. Um, so the Z has always been a car that we just run in whatever series I feel like running it in. We've never built that car for 
other than when I first got it, I was so turned off by that experience of going pro racing that I said, I'm just going to build the car I want and I'll run it wherever it fits in. I don't care. Right. Um, so we'll continue to do the same thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we won't just get kicked out of every possible event. Um, I think that people will be accommodating to us if we can show them that it's, you know, here's how it works. Here's how you kill it. Here's how you make sure there's no high voltage, you know, then it should be okay. God, it's going to be crazy to get out on the track too and be able to, I mean, like you said, you're going to be more, um, you're going to be more concerned with tuning it on the fly and then adjusting how the curse system works essentially, right? Is, I mean, do you, well, you don't call it a curse. Do you call it a curse system? I mean, it's like well, I mean, energy curse, recovery. And... Curse is kinetic energy recovery system. So, I yeah. mean, it is a curse system in that it's recovering some energy from, from slowing down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a curse system generally means like that it's just getting its energy from recovery. Um, whereas we'll be able to have like that battery go for three full laps. So we'll be able to use it as pretty much a battery assisted electric, um, gasoline vehicle for those three laps, like for time attacks. So that's yeah. the idea is for a time attack, we can go three laps full bore with an extra effectively 700 horsepower. Wow. Oh God, that's yeah. crazy. And then if we want to do some sprint racing or something like that, then it would effectively be something more like maybe 580 or 600 horsepower. Um, well, it would you know depend on the length of the, the straightaways and braking zones, but mm-hmm. it'll be really cool. And um, you know, it, it might not be that much faster because of the weight that we're adding. How much weight are you adding with it? Uh, it's going to be about 200 pounds. Okay, I mean that's not crazy, but it's not crazy. But with, on a, a, race with car. a car that's got a fair bit of arrow, you're looking at about one and a half seconds per lap. Uh, depending on the track. Right. Um, so that that's a big chunk. You make it up with power, but, you know, one and a half seconds per lap in power is still a fair bit of power you need to add. Yeah, it certainly is. With with EV racing or hybrid racing or uh, just understanding kind of the community that exists now or doesn't exist now, to your to the best of your knowledge, what series are out there from an EV racing perspective, be it grassroots or for more developed than grassroots? And um, and I guess we talked a little bit about uh, Kels and how hybrid a hybrid race car would fit in or not fit in. Um, why don't we start with the EV, like strictly EV racing? What do you what, what's out there right now? I mean, I know of Formula E. You'd mentioned a couple of others when we chatted at the beginning yeah yeah. Of this. So Formula E is very, you know professional OE yep. level like it's getting more and more money every year <clears throat> and manufacturers are using formula E pretty much as their grounds to market to customers that hey we care about electric cars and we're going to make an electric car right um so e- formula E is not something that anyone that's an aftermarket enthusiast can obviously get into yeah uh there's also this support series with the Jaguar I-Pace that runs some spec I-Paces and um again that's not something where someone in the aftermarket would be able to like tune or make changes to the I-Pace. I'm pretty sure Jaguar runs all those cars and you just show up and drive them. Yeah. I don't know for sure about that. Then at the grassroots level, there's a cool series that runs once a year, I think, called Refuel. And we went down there this year at Laguna Seca. Okay. Oh, Refuel. cool. Nice. Yeah. So that we reset the track record there for the for sedans. No big deal, right? Yeah. Uh, it was How many cars? Cool. <laughs> uh, I don't remember. There were a lot of cars, but it's so new, right? Everything's so new that like if like the laptop the record improves by like five or seven seconds a year it's not like <laughs> That's awesome. you know it's like a mega step every year right because yeah. it's so rapidly changing it's really cool yeah to see um so that's cool that's all electric mm-hmm. um like a like a time trial series basically because the way that that series started cars could barely do one lap so you don't even do an outlap you go you leave the pit lane and you do a u-turn <laughs> you don't even warm up your tires you do one corner and uh-huh. then you do your fast lap right so it's cool that that was a constraint they had to worry about. Now that doesn't even matter. Every car could do an outlap. Okay. How many? I mean, how many laps can you do in, say, your one of your development cars at Laguna Seca? Uh, well, for example, at Cayuga here, mm-hmm. we were just at the track for the Speed Academy lapping day and taking people for rides like all day. We probably drove for at least a few hours on the track that day. Holy shit! Yeah. That it, also, there's really good footage of that on YouTube <laughs> to to check out and convincing some of the naysayers that this is a really fun yeah, and capable fun, car. Yeah, it's a fun, good chassis to have. You know, our long range rear wheel drive cars don't have a ton of power. They're not like the performance Model Three that has five and horsepower. Okay. But they're still really fun um, lapping day cars. 
That's uh, awesome. I mean, you should, I, I want to make sure that I know of in the spring and through the summer, the next yeah, time yeah, you're totally. having one of those days, I got to come out and Pe- check it out. People loved it. We, we need to do that more often for sure. Cause there were a lot of people there that had never been in an electric car before and figured that they were all just like golf carts. Yeah. And you take them on the track and this thing's got grip better than an M3 and, you know, pretty decent power and they're like blown away. And there's four doors. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's mind blowing. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked a bit about the, uh, well, we've talked a lot about the racing evolution of um, full EVs, um, converted EVs, hybrids. Now, in the consumer space, there's a lot of development happening too. And a lot of manufacturers are now announcing their commitment to electrification. And there's all kinds of different systems. Infinity was just talking about their onboard. I mean, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid electric system, but uh, no charging. And, and I'm not sure that that's necessarily the most attractive um, yeah, I solution think at this point. Any manufacturer that says you don't need to charge this car should be ashamed of themselves and they should be like fired immediately <laughs> because it's super misleading and it's just super disrespectful to the whole industry, in my opinion. I, I think it's a, I mean, it's certainly a crutch to get into the fully electrified world where a lot, yeah, a lot of manufacturers fine. are it's just fine to just make a hybrid, but don't say it's an advantage that you don't have to charge it. That's disgusting. Yeah. There's, I, I, we all know that the technology is there to be a 100% electric and without, I mean, I don't want to bore anybody who's listening, but I think, you know, I had looked at, um, e-golf was fun. I got to drive it really, really cool little car in the city um it foregoes kind of that preconceived notion of all evs are aesthetically maybe not so pleasing this was just a golf and it it was pretty badass in the city um what else like what would be one other notable consumer available product or maybe something that you're seeing that's that's coming out soon that would be interesting outside of model 3 unless the model 3 is just the it's (laughs) it's always the answer right now the model 3 is by far the best for the dollar yeah it's like Miata for a race car. You know, like it's, I'm always going to say Miata. If you want to get into racing. No matter what, it's Miata. No. Yeah. The Model 3, for sure, the standard range car. Uh, we, you know, Jesse's standard range car is faster than my long range car. On no, the no track, kidding. Actually, because it's got the same power at high speed, but it's just lighter. Wow. Um, but that being said, there are some really cool electric cars right on the, on the horizon. And uh, it feels like they're always right on the horizon. And it's always like they're just six months or um, 12 months away. But I think this time now they actually are some really cool cars about to come out. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, and I mean, pickup trucks, I'm super excited for the Rivian pickup truck. Uh, I'm super right. excited for the Tesla pickup truck that they're going to announce sometime this month. What? Oh, okay. So I didn't realize that announcement was coming this month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Tesla's going to release apparently. So we should be able to see what it looks like. Um, I mean, that's such a smart, uh, given the U.S. market and the the heat that the uh, that the light truck market gets uh, on a regular basis, it, this is such a smart place to play. Yeah, it's it's expensive, right? Because you know, yeah. you've got a big, unaerodynamic, like box, so right. it needs a lot of battery. Mm-hmm. And that you know, because of that, it's expensive. Yeah. But man, you got a good, pickup truck. You got a big bed back there that you can. <laughs> yeah, and if you just think about it, I mean, from a, I've got so many ideas on how to integrate an electric pickup truck to make life of the track easier. I mean, just imagine if you could just charge your race car from your pickup truck's battery. Like you've oh, got wow. this massive reservoir of energy. Yeah. That you can you know pull off of and use the buffer and. The match made in heaven. Yeah, I mean the the problem is they're not going to do that, so we're going to have to try and probably go down that road. If the manufacturers don't give us access to the high voltage battery, we're probably going to have to find ways to, to get it done because I think that that is something that's going to be really powerful. People are going to want to use that battery and people spend a bunch of money just to put a backup battery in their house. Yeah. So if you've got a pickup truck and Rivian's kind of gotten onto this a bit and you're going off somewhere, you're going to want to be able to use that power yeah. to do whatever, you know, to go camping, to cook with, to you know, power your toys. If they're, you know, you could have an electric side-by-side, your electric ATVs, dirt yeah. bikes, all yeah. this stuff could be powered by your pickup truck. So that's really exciting. I'm excited for those things to come out. And I think we're going to try and make some sorts of products for those vehicles too. That's super exciting. I, I had a chance to talk with the founder of um, Taiga, the electric Sea-Doo and yeah, yeah. snowmobile makers oh, cool. out of Montreal. Cool. Man, and I I was at the launch of their Sea-Doo 
yeah. uh, event in Toronto. Uh, yeah. I don't even like water sports, but I went down because I thought it was such an interesting totally. space to play in. And all I could think every for every second I was speaking to him was like, where's your military contract? How is this not? <laughs> and then all I can think is it's already been done. They're using it. Just nobody knows about it. Um, but I could imagine that Rivian with a, you know, with one of their CDUs being towed behind it. Everything's electric. It's just such yeah, a great exactly. story. They're using a Model 3 to tow uh, their uh, their uh, was it personal watercraft? Okay, already and the snow machines are amazing. If you can imagine the a silent snowmobile, that's it's, so it's cool. beautiful, right? Especially in the winter with all that insulation from the sound and, and the snow. Yeah, you don't want to ruin the like nice experience in nature with this screaming CVT motor. That's just, <laughs> yeah, you know? totally. So, I like is. the idea of electric side by side. Is that prevalent in the marketplace? Yeah, we have an electric side by side actually. Oh no way! Oh, yeah, cool. so we've got a Polaris electric side by side. Okay. And it came with these heavy lead acid batteries. So we swapped them out for two little Chevrolet Volt lithium-ion batteries. <laughs> of course you did. That's awesome. So the thing, I think the thing is like 600 pounds lighter now or oh, something wow. insane. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's actually kind of fun now. Like it's a utility side-by-side, -side, not like a sporty one. Yeah. But it can still slide around now and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I have a question for you that just like popped into my head as we were talking about this. And um, I'm sure there's a really good answer for it. But are there applications for big diesel motor hybrid conversions. I mean, is that does that make any sense or is it a pointless endeavor to go into when you're looking at diesel and electric hybrid, uh, sorry, diesel as an electric hybrid? I mean, I never hear anything about it. Is it just a, is it, it just doesn't make sense by the numbers or what's your opinion on that? I'm not an expert in diesels and what their efficiency profile looks like. Yeah. But I think, I believe that the gains with diesel would be smaller because gasoline-powered engines have a throttle plate. And when you're just cruising along, hardly asking for any power, the engine has to suck all this air right past this throttle plate. And there's a bunch of what's called pumping losses Okay. to suck this air through against this closed throttle plate. Diesel doesn't have that. It's one of the reasons they're a bit more efficient. So I don't know if diesel's efficiency falls off that much as the power load you request goes lower. So if, in other words, if you ask for less power, mm -hmm. I don't know if the diesel is that much less efficient than when you're asking for more power. Oh, okay. But with a gas-powered car, when you're asking for like five horsepower, it's really inefficient. Uh, and that's why a hybrid makes sense because you basically just shut the engine off when it's not working very hard. And then when it's working hard right. and it's fairly efficient, you then use the engine. Okay. In general, I think hybrids are, they're, they need, they had, there was a place for hybrids, but I think that hybrids now are a terrible idea um, because you have twice the complexity, you have twice of everything, you have twice the weight um, and all these compliance and hybrid cars. I mean, if you look at a purpose-built electric car, mm -hmm. it's beautifully simple. The battery's in the bottom, there's two short little cables that connect to the motor in the front, there's two short little cables that come on the battery that connect to the motor in the, in the other, on the other side. And it's just like really simple. You have <laughs> lots of space for storage. And you look at a hybrid and it's just like, you got no trunk, Still got everything in the engine bay that you would normally have with a normal engine. Right. And it's just, from a design standpoint, it's just really not elegant at all, and it doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm, we're doing a hybrid for the race car, but that's kind of a different approach. Yeah. Yeah, there's a different end use case for that. Yeah. Um, I really, yeah, I really think that for a consumer vehicle, when the charging infrastructure is there, mm -hmm. There's no reason that the car should be hybrid. Like you can get wherever you want to go, just stop to charge for a few minutes. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's trip. talk let's talk about that because the infrastructure is something that interests me um, so much in the sense that I don't understand it. I don't know at what state it's yeah, at. Yeah. The only yeah. I don't know. I don't know what Toronto, GTA, or Canada looks like from the, an existing infrastructure standpoint. So, what do you see? The only way you can understand the charging infrastructure is by owning an electric car or living with an electric car for a, for a week or a month or sorry, let's say a month. Yeah, I bet. You know, you can't just look around at the stations and look at a map and get a feel for what it's like. Um, basically, the way that the charging infrastructure is in Canada right now is that there are a number of different charging station suppliers okay. or whatever you call them. Sure. Chains. Yeah. And each one requires a different account or key or, you know, pass that you have to have. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's pretty common for those high power charging stations to sometimes not work or sometimes uh, in the summer they'll overheat and the amount of power you can get on them is lower. Oh, no, I had no clue that was um, a problem. Some wow. of them don't have apps where you can see if it's 
full. Like they might only have two stations, but you don't know if they're being used. So that's, I would say, where Tesla has the biggest advantage. And I don't want to just be like only a pro-Tesla person. That's yeah. not my intention. But I mean... But the fact is a fact yeah. that the supercharger network when, with Tesla is... Um, it's for someone that doesn't own or drive an electric car, you you can't know how powerful that is to be able to just see on your um, on your screen in your car how many stalls are available, how much power you can get, and the fact that there are literally supercharger stations that I could drive from here to California. At, you can literally go anywhere, and there are supercharger stations to get you there. And that that system is complete. I remember hearing um, about that being the end goal. Yeah. essentially being able to go coast to coast yeah. with it. So. I can't believe it, man. If you look at the map, like, you know, you look at the map once a year and it just looks like someone just added a whole bunch of icons right. on this map. But it's, it's like, like bacteria someone growth. had to go and just, you know, put these huge things in. And and uh, all these other companies talk about how that's too expensive to just add one or two charging stalls. Meanwhile, Tesla adds eight or 16 at a time. That's wild. It's nuts, man. It's crazy. And now... Um, Again, because I don't live with an electric vehicle, I mean, in that drive across the country, or let's just say just generally um, from a charging standpoint, I mean, how long are you spending at a stall if you have, you know, let's say you have 50% power and you need, or maybe give me a more realistic Okay, so I'll case. give you a good example. We yeah. were going down to uh, Grid Life with the Model 3, right? In Atlanta? No, Grid Life, uh, Michigan, and Gingerman. Oh, okay, yeah. Yep. So whatever that is from us here, maybe six or seven hours away. Okay. We easily beat the truck and trailer. Um, we left here. We can make it all the way to the to the border to Detroit pretty much without charging, um, which is like, I don't know. <clears throat> is that something like almost four almost hours? Four hours. Yeah. So we didn't do that because no one wants to sit in a car for four hours anyway. Yeah. So we got just outside of Detroit, and there's an A and W there. By the time we went into the A and W and ordered those, uh, what do they call them? Those new burgers? The uh, oh, the Beyond Meat burgers. Beyond Meat burgers. Because yeah. yeah. they take a few more minutes to come. Yeah. The car was done charging when we were done eating. Come on. Yeah. Really? Yeah, we were in there for about thirty minutes. Oh wow. Between walking, from, like it's a you know four or five minute walk from the supercharger. Not even probably a two minute walk from the supercharger. The thing you wait in line for a few minutes. People don't realize how long they stop for. Yeah. When you're on a road trip. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. like check your watch when you stop on a road trip. You don't stop for 10 minutes. No. If you think you stop for 10 minutes, you're not stopping. Oh yeah. So anybody who has any, uh, any, I guess, um, knowledge of or awareness of the time they spend on road trips, especially when you have kids, totally. you really realize just how long you like, end up. At... You're always stopping for at least 20 minutes if you're going to the bathroom or totally. you're not just putting gas in. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're just putting gas in, that's still 10 minutes mm -hmm. minimum. Yeah. So if you have some awareness of how long you spend, considering when you're going to charge, you, the first thing you do is back in and plug in your car. It's charging. So every second after that, whether you're going to the bathroom or whatever, it's not like you're not charging. And the, the car's charging. So how much power had been depleted um, by the time you got there? Oh, I don't remember exactly, man. But generally, the car we probably left here around ninety percent. We probably got there around twenty percent. Oh, that's crazy! Something like that. Oh man, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I don't generally like to run the battery at the top or bottom ten percent. Oh, okay. Is that um, a good rule of thumb? Yeah, for good anybody? rule of thumb just for longevity of the battery. Yeah. Um, basically, the way batteries work is they um, wear the most when they're being used, when they're at the top and the bottom for uh -huh. extended periods of time. So like you don't want to leave your car at 100% forever, basically. Hmm. Good advice for any Tesla owners listening yeah. out there. So anyway, the charging thing, now you're seeing the other manufacturers grouping together and making these other, um, I can't remember what they call it now, Electrify America, I think. Okay, so there's like some standardization happening? Uh, well, it's not the standardization so much as they're all grouping together to fund putting out a competitive... Um, network similar to a supercharger network. I see. I see. Okay. But it's, okay. They're basically as far behind as when Tesla first started the supercharger network. Wow. However many years ago that was. That's crazy to think. And it's it's the difference between feeling comfortable being able to go wherever you want and feeling like you're trapped to within where you know you have a charger. Because the, cause the current chargers with these little networks, you know, they're, there's usually only two at each one. And so very often you go to a Tesla charger and 10 or 12 are taken. Wow. So once there's more electric cars on the road, those two little chargers at each station are not going to be enough. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting to know. I mean, how far was the closest one from, let's say, um, what's a good reference point? If I was downtown Toronto, say I wanted, I was doing the tourist thing and I went to the Skydome, watched a baseball game. 
where would the closest charging station be in proximity kind of like the downtown which is probably a difficult question because it's so dense down there but yeah so there's there are geez i can't remember there's one at Sherway. there's one at uh oh cool i didn't realize there's a whole bunch right just around the outskirts of toronto i don't know if there's any like right downtown yeah but generally the idea of a supercharger is that you use it like when you're on one of the major corridors yeah and if you're like if you're downtown, you're probably stopping somewhere for long enough that you don't need a supercharger. You charge at one of the slower right. stations. Because right. usually what uses a lot of the battery is like being on the highway. If mm. you're just creeping along downtown, you're not using any battery anyway. You could be in stop and go traffic downtown for probably a week straight without running out of battery because you're, you're not driving anymore. This is awesome. I, I've realized that error in my ways of having a, a WRX STI downtown <laughs> and how much I, when I even I'd say when I got a WRX five, six years ago, um, before I went to the STI, even then it was unimaginable for me to have an electric vehicle. And in that short five year period, I mean, a lot's changed and I, you know, I've, I have kids and all of the things that come along with that. But now that's all I can think about is, I mean, I love having the STI, but for the very short little bursts that I get to have fun and enjoy it, it's it's probably about as enjoyable as, as I could have, or as much fun as I could have with a, a good electric car. Yeah, you should just rent a Model 3 on Turo for a couple of days. Yeah. For like a, a lot of traffic areas, there's nothing more relaxing than a Model 3. You can put an autopilot and it'll oh, just drive man. the stop and go for you. <laughs> it's the... You know, not to say you can text and drive, but you can fully text and drive. Sure, yeah. And just do whatever you want. And it's, it's peaceful because, you know, gasoline powered cars are great once they're up and going, but you know, they have to spin all the time. So you've got to use clutches and torque converters and stuff to get them going. And it's just, it's not, it's just not as peaceful. It's like kind of like you're in your living room, but you're in a car, you, right. you know, it's just more peaceful when it's quiet. And then you just go to the track or whatever with some, you know, better tires and you have a ton of fun. God, I love it. I mean, this has been a really good conversation, Tasha. And I, I feel like we can probably, um, we can probably end it there with my longing for an electric <laughs> car. As I'm gonna start, this is gonna start to go downhill because yeah, I, I don't think of take all the things. Away from Subaru. Subaru's <laughs> a lot of fun. Just I mean, not downtown. I love them. I love them. Um, but I would love, uh, I would love nothing more than even my Outback to do a hybrid conversion on my on the Outback would be an amazing and fun thing to have. Or ideally, a fully electric Outback would be an awesome machine. Yeah, you see, it wouldn't be so hard for Subaru to have already had a fully electric version. Mm -hmm. And they've got a big following. I think it would have done pretty well. So yeah. unfortunately, the manufacturers that drag their feet are going to, they're going to pay. And they they literally are, are paying the price too when it comes to the taxes, sorry, the tariffs oh, that are right. being put on as well. Yep. Um, because they don't even have a hybrid right now. Yeah, their fleet emissions is probably pretty high, right? Yeah, so overall footprint is being judged and they have to pay penalties. So it's crazy. It's even worse in Quebec. Right. Um, from what I understand. But anyways, um, Sasha, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I love being able to be here and talk with you about all of this. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you on the interwebs? Yeah, well, the best way, well, mountainpassperformance.com is a mountain pass website. And the best way to kind of follow with the like new things that we're working on is probably Instagram, which is mountainpassperformance. Um, and don't forget about On Point. <laughs> yeah, On Point Dino is just On Point Dino on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and they're both very closely linked. Like we'll often post, cross post, since a lot of our things are interrelated. Um, yeah, so check us out. Yeah. Um, and you're on, I mean, there's a couple of really good pieces of content that are up now that you can go and find that you did with Speed Academy. Yes. yes. And, uh, and I definitely encourage everyone to go check that out. The passes at uh, Cayuga in your, one of your development cars is super fun. I think it's pretty telling for anybody who questions whether or not the car has performance credibility, you know, minus all of the actual data that's out there to, to prove it. Um, it's very worthwhile checking out and um, I encourage everybody to follow Sasha and um, and what Mountain Pass is doing and of course what On Point is doing into 2020. You'll probably hear this episode in 2020 as I'll be releasing it then. So stay tuned for what's coming up next on the bucket seat. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe. You can find me at the bucket seat just on uh, on just about everything. iTunes, um, on Spotify, on Google Play. 
You can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at The Bucket Seat and keep hitting me up with all of your questions or um, or your guest suggestions at trevor at thebucketseat.ca. Keep listening. And thanks so much, Sasha, again for being on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Cheers. Oh, wait, wait. It's me again, everyone. Before you move on to your next podcast binge today, I wanted to encourage you to listen to something called the Double Clutch Podcast. It's hosted by Addie and Jerry of DoubleClutch.ca Magazine, and it's a great way to get up to speed on what's happening in the product world of automotive. They have a ridiculous circuit of new cars they review on their site and their podcast, and if you have an interest in honest and humorous banter about new cars, make your way over to the Apple Podcast and search for Double Clutch CA. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Also, if you want to get yourself into some incredibly badass auto-inspired footwear, Check out Stripe Design for the best socks I've ever worn. They're the world's first high-performance driving sock with color and graphics inspired by the art, community, and heritage of motorsport. They're made in the USA and crafted utilizing the finest high-performance recycled fiber yarns. And like the machines that inspire us, their socks are designed with function first. They're durable, thin and light, breathable and supportive with just a touch of compression to keep your feet performing at their best. The rich and saturated color and the fine detail they capture, the essence of motorsport that you can wear every day. So go and check them out at stripedesign.com. That's S-T-R-I-I-P-E-D-E-S-I-G-N.com. I really do vouch for these guys. Phenomenal socks. They look amazing and you will not be disappointed.